0: Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Oh, come on again and give him glory. Oh, come on and give him honor. Come on and give him praise. If you know that he's good and you know that he's been kind. Lift up your hands and give him praise tonight. Oh, we serve a great God. We serve an awesome God. We serve a mighty good God. That there is none like him. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. His name, his name, his name, uh, is worthy to be praised. Uh, his name is worthy to be glorified. Uh, his name is worthy to be magnified. Oh, come on and magnify the Lord with me. Uh, and let us exalt his name together. Hallelujah. Worthy is our God. Amen. Amen. Good evening. I greet you in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ. I give honor on tonight to my bishop, the Reverend Dr. Benjamin Keith Watts, the angel of this house. Oh, come on and give him praise. And to our first lady, who is a woman of excellence, Lady Cynthia Watts, and to the elders, to the ministers, deacon, deaconess, and to you, my Shiloh family, to my children, Trifino, and Minister Robert Jr., who I love so dearly, and to my husband, Wow, <laughs> elder elect, and then, Robert Martin, who I love, and honor and respect. I praise God for this opportunity to stand before the people of God. And it's one that I do not take lightly. And I believe the Lord does have a word for us tonight. Before we go into the the word, let me invite you to pray with me. Holy, 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 the Lord thy God Almighty, the one that was the one that is, and the one that's still yet to come. Father, I count it a privilege and an honor to stand before your people, but not in my own strength and not in my own might, but by the strength and might of the Holy Ghost. I thank you, Father, for hiding me behind that cross, that you may use this willing vessel, that you may be glorified, magnified, and edified, In your son's name, I do pray, amen. Tonight, I want to turn your attention to a familiar passage of scripture that is found in the Gospel of Mark, the ninth chapter, starting at the 14th verse. And those of you who are physically able, please stand for the reading of the word. Then that's Mark, the ninth chapter. We'll be starting at the 14th verse. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and the scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them?" Then one of the crowd answered and said, "'Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and wherever it sizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not.' He answered him and said, "Oh, faithless generation, how long?' shall I be with you? How long shall I bear you up? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took them by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind, come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. The word of the Lord, you may be seated in the house of the Lord. This evening, I solicit your attention to the subject, this kind, this kind. Some years ago, one of my co-workers and I got to talking about Lent. He shared an experience about Lent that he had when he was in his 20s. He was sitting with some people, most of them who were religious and some who were not religious at all. They were having a discussion as to what they gave up for Lent. Each person verbally stated one thing that he or she gave up. One of the men stated that he gave up caffeine. One of the religious women stated she gave up cookies. Someone else said chocolate. Someone else said potato chips. And my co-worker blurted out that he gave up smoking weed. Marijuana. You know the stuff that you smoke to get you high? The room became silent. You can hear a pin drop. Some of the religious folks were astonished and glanced at each other with the look of disgrace. And there was a brother from the hood that understood that there is an unspoken rule as it relates to the religious world and the secular world. And there are certain things you just don't say in the company of religious folks. He shook his head and was shocked to believe that his friend would say something like that. And all he can do was sit there shaking his head, saying to himself, I know this fool just did not say in front of these religious folks that he was going to give a smoking weed for that. It may sound odd in the sense that this is not religiously correct when talking about something so sacred as that, especially not to religious folks, who are used to the normal self-denials, such as caffeine, sweets, fried foods, and red meat. Anything other than that is not permitted to say around religious folks. And when my coworker blurted out that he gave up smoking weed for Lent, I can only imagine how his contribution to the conversation made religious folks so very uncomfortable. And the silence that filled the room So much so that it was one of those times that something just needed to be said. In an attempt to bring everyone back to the sacredness of Lent, one of the religious sisters thought she was being helpful and found it rather important to be detailed in what type of cookies that she gave up for Lent. So in a moment, of an uncomfortable quiet room, she said, I I forgot to mention that I gave up Oreo cookies. You know the one with the double filling. That was a perfect opportunity for someone that didn't have a religion, but a relationship with almighty God to say that we're not talking about your cookies right now. Didn't you hear what the brother said that he was going to give up smoking marijuana for lint? The reality is, he was probably the only one that was sincere in what he was going to give up. Because he realized that what he was going to give up could not compare to what he was going to gain. He was conveying that he was going to use lint for what it was intended for repentance of sin and giving up a bad habit, perhaps to draw closer to God. lit was going to be the vehicle that he would use to rid himself from what he viewed as a sin that so easily beset <laughs> him. He was going to capitalize on the greatest investment of the year, a time where just about everyone, religious, non-religious, churchgoers or non-churchgoers, people from all walks of life, Make great efforts to give up the things that are pleasurable as there is a notion that a physical pleasure of release God uh, can release a physical and a spiritual act. Uh, this was a time to give up something that he felt that he could not give up any other time of the year for his own. But when we consider what he was actually saying, this kind of addiction, this kind of habit, this kind of stronghold that I thought I had a hold on actually has a hold on me. That can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Lent is a season where we acknowledge the ways we have turned away from God. Where we deprive ourselves of pleasures or indulgences, and offer that sacrifice to focus on turning our hearts toward God. During Lent, we are encouraged to enter into a time of prayer, fasting, and studying God's Word, drawing closer to God. Lent, which starts on today, Ash Wednesday, is the period preceding Easter, where we, as a church corporately, participate in a partial fast known as the Daniel fast when we omit certain foods from our diet on a schedule that includes limited eating. It's a time of reflection and penitence in commemoration of the 40 years the Israelites spent in exile after exodus and the 40 days of Christ's fasting in the wilderness. It's a time that we collectively fast every year as a church. We are provided a list of food items to give up something for a little over 40 days. But let's be honest about it. For some of us, it's hard to give up those things that are pleasurable, such as caffeine, you know, your favorite cup of coffee. Christians will let you know, you may see a different side of me if I have to give up my cup of coffee. Tomorrow at work, it may be a different day in the office for somebody that got to give up their daily cup of coffee, mm. and the sweets and the sugar. You know that sweet honey bun cake, and the fried foods, that delicious fried fish, that seasoned just so right, just white and flaky, hot right out of the grease, and you just put some hot sauce on it. My God, my God. But it seems like around this time of the year, there is so much discussion centered around what to give up, but very little discussion of what we gain. And while while everyone else was giving up things on the surface, this brother searched his heart, and he made an honest confession about what he viewed Has a demon in his life that tormented him day and night that only the Lord could deliver him from. This is the same predicament that the father in our narrative found himself in when he brought his son to Jesus to deliver him. We enter on the scene where Jesus was walking towards the disciples who were surrounded by a crowd of spectators and who watched as they were arguing with some of the scribes, the religious leaders. And Jesus approached the scribes and asked, what are you disputing with them? He was referring to some of the disciples, and before one of the scribes could answer, the father of the boy who had the evil spirit retorted, teacher, I brought my son for you to heal him. He has been suffering with a mute spirit, and wherever it sizes him... It throws him violently to the ground. It makes him foam at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Your disciples, that they should cast it up, but they could not. And Jesus looked at the disciples at the scribes and the crowd, and he answered, oh, faithless generation, how long must I be with you? until you believe. Bring the boy to me. And when that evil spirit saw Jesus, immediately it threw him to the ground into a violent convulsion. And he fell to the ground and waddled in the middle of this dying act, where this father once again had to witness his boy being violently handled by this spirit who had taken control over his life he watched his son suffer for many years and couldn't do anything and now he stands in front of jesus the miracle worker the one who laid hands on the sick and they recover the one who walked on water the one who opened blind eyes the one who opened the ears of the deaf the one who opened the mouths of the mute the one who called the dead to rise and at that moment when they were at the little door, this spirit once again sizes him, but this time it's even greater than before. And Jesus finds it an opportune time to have a counseling session while this spirit is out of control, violently convulsing, foaming at the mouth, wallowing on the ground, and yet. Jesus is not moved at all. This reminded me of the time when I was in the grocery store. And a little boy, I want to say about six or seven years of age, that wasn't from the black race. He was on the floor throwing a tent to tent. In the middle of the aisle, he was screaming, kicking his feet, screaming and hollering in the middle of the aisle, just screaming. screaming. And it was clear that this mother did not have the same conversation that I had when my children were young before we went into the store. Before we walked into the store, I would look them in the eye. And I would say, when we get in this store, Don't ask for nothing because I'm not buying you nothing. And don't touch nothing. But it was clear that this mother did not have that conversation. So as this child continues screaming because he wants her to buy the toy, a wise mother would have just let him continue with that tantrum tantrum or a mother from the old school would have just snatched him, I mean, picked him up very gently and put him over to the other side. But this mother, when you continue to allow your child to have that tantrum, you let him know that I am in control. I will not allow your tantrum, your temper tantrum to get me to react on your time and on your terms. Jesus responded in the same manner. He was not moved by this violent demonstration of the evil spirit. So he continued his countenance session. He asked the Father, How long has this been happening as if he didn't already know? And the father replies, since he was a child, he often throws him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And if you would allow me to put on my spiritual imagination, i like to believe that Jesus said, my Lord. Mind you, his son is still on the ground, squirming in the grip of this evil spirit. The crowd is growing, the scribes are ridiculing, the disciples are observing, the father is disbelieving and drawing the conclusion that this demon is out of Jesus' scope of deliverance. And Jesus demonstrates that he is in control and remains full, calm, and collective. And he goes deeper into the countenance session. And all the while that this spirit is violently performing, Jesus teaches us a valuable lesson. Somebody needs to know tonight. Although it looks like the evil spirit is in control, and it looks like the enemy is wreaking havoc in your life, and it looks like he's taking control over your finances and over your family, don't fret because Jesus is in control. In the midst of watching, Jesus not moved at all. His father is wrestling with doubt. And he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, help us. This wasn't a matter if Jesus can deliver his son. Jesus has power over demons. Oh, demons tremble at the sound of his name. (sighs) This was the real issue. And is applicable today if you can believe all things are possible to those who believe. So immediately the father confessed his doubt. He didn't believe that Jesus could deliver his boy. He was still on the ground being tormented by this evil spirit in front of the one who is a healer and deliverer. This father looked at his boy, hoping that this would be the last time that he would witness the evil spirit tormenting his son. So he cried out with tears streaming down his face Lord, I believe, would help my unbelief. In other words, I've been going through this for a long time, it's been hard. We have been going through this over and over and over. I seen my son, my boy bodily taken over by this evil spirit, repeatedly, and I couldn't do anything to help him. He thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. When he threw him into the fire, I went in with him. I got burns on my arms. And when he threw him into the water, I almost dislocated my shoulder, trying to take him out of the water. And yet, you don't do anything while this evil spirit almost drowned my son. Lord, yes, I believe, but help my unbelief. I know you are healer. I know you are deliverer. I know you are way maker. And I do believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus turned around, if you will, and he rebuked the evil spirit, saying, Death and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. And that evil spirit cried out and convulsed and came out, and he fell to the ground. And he looked like one that was dead. And Jesus came, picked him up, and he arose. Afterwards, Jesus and the disciples walked back to the house. And I imagine the disciples were discussing the exorcism that they witnessed and were deeply concerned and wanted to know what happened. Why they were unsuccessful of casting out that evil spirit. And even when we are told in Mark chapter 6 verse 7 that Jesus gave the disciples power over unclean spirits and in Mark chapter 6 verse 13 reveals that the disciples had effectively cast out demons before. This was not their first rodeo. Casting out demons were not foreign to them. They had cast out many demons before. However, they were perplexed as to why they could not cast out this particular demon. What made the difference? What went wrong? And they had to have an answer. So when Jesus entered the house, they gathered around and privately asked, Who, oh, what can we get this evil spirit out? And Jesus replied, This kind, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting, which brings me to two essential ingredients that Jesus pointed out to disciples that I want to leave with you on this evening. When you're faced with this kind of issue, this kind of stronghold, this kind of situation, the first ingredient that you need is prayer. Is prayer. And underneath prayer, A is prayer is sincere. Prayer is sincere. It's sincerely communicating with God and God communicated with you through no conversation Prayer is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. True, sincere prayer starts and flows from the heart. Prayer starts with vulnerability, honesty, and being transparent before the Lord. Jesus expects us to pray. For he says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 6, when you pray. He doesn't say if you pray, but he says when you pray shut your door, Uh, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. There are rewards for spending time in prayer. Not that we do it for reward, but the rewards are greater than the sacrifice. Prayer was the priority in Jesus' life, and prayer is also a priority in my life. But many years ago, I didn't want the label of prayer. And one day the Lord spoke to me, and it changed everything. I was visiting with someone in the hospital. And as the woman was in her room, I was entering the room and she already had another visitor. And while I was entering come into the room, the patient, the woman asked her, Who is that? And she says, You know the one that prays all the time. And I thought to myself, I do have a maiden. So I visit with her and I prayed with her. And while I was walking to my car, I started praying for the Lord. I said, Lord, prayer is not the only thing that I can do. And he said, I know that. But that's what I've called you to do. It changed everything. It's a difference when you're doing something on your own, but it's a difference when God calls you to do it. But just like Jesus, I don't pray because I have to pray. I pray because it's my link to the Father. And Jesus didn't pray because he had to pray. He prayed and it was his primary link to his Father. His prayers were sincere, as we see in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, when Jesus was asking the Father in the realm of his will to create a way for him to avoid the cross. And he prayed, Father, if it be thy will, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus considered prayer more important than physical rest. For Luke chapter 6, verse 12 says that Jesus prayed all night. And then there were times when he prayed for one hour. But even the disciples thought that was just too long. Because while he was praying, they fell asleep. And when Jesus returned and found them sleeping, he said, you could not tarry with me for one hour when you tarry with the lord even just for one hour in sincere prayer something happens you begin to understand the character and the purpose of god Ah, to experience the anointing and the power in god as never before when you can just spend some time with him in prayer B, prayer is security. Prayer is security. It demonstrates our reliance on God as we humbly invite him to fill us with faith and power. Prayer allows you and I to have security in God. It allows us to trust in the Lord with all thy heart. And lean not to thy own understanding, in all our ways to acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. There is no substitution for prayer, especially in circumstances that seem impossible. The disciples had to understand and be secure in knowing that prayer is what they were lacking to secure the de- de- deliverance from the evil spirit. Thus, Jesus responded to the disciples and cried that they were not praying. Hmm. Because we are told in verse 16, when Jesus arrived on the scene, the disciples were arguing. And while they were arguing with the scribes, the father of the son, who was overtaken by the evil spirit, stood in the midst of them, which indicated that this father was aware of the disciples' power the authority to cast out demons. Too many times when the enemy is weak in habit amongst the body of Christ we spend time arguing over situations that makes no kind of sense when we should be praying. It seems to me that at least one or two or three of the disciples should have broke out in a prayer. See, Prayer is simple. Prayer is simple. It's simple. Prayer is not measured by length, repetitious words, or banging words. It doesn't have to be eloquent. The simplest prayers grabs God's attention. The Lord just wants you and I to pray. For he says in 2 Chronicles 7, the Fourteen chapter, if thy people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways that he promised that he would hear from heaven and he would forgive thy sins and heal the land. Prayer is simple. It really is. But sometimes we make it complicated when we have to deal with certain situations in our lives. I can testify to that. Most of you are aware that my father is ill. And prior to my father being ill, we often have conversations together. He would call me. And I tell you this much, I really do miss those conversations that we had. But the stroke that he had had left him in a such a state that he can't. And Lord knows how much I miss him. And miss just his laughter and his jokes. And each time I was ready to delete it, I didn't have a release. I didn't know then, but I know now. And I'm so glad that I have the opportunity to hear his voice every now and then when I'm playing the messages. But I notice of all his messages that he left, starts off with the same greeting each time. Listen. Oh, this is your daddy calling here. Telling me hi. And how's uh, my grandson and granddaughter? And I love you, I always love you because you're one of my babies. And uh, to talk to you when you call them. Bye-bye. And I wondered how would you feel when you entered into prayer and when you opened your mouth and start praying a simple prayer something like father I don't know what to pray I don't even know where to begin and before another thought crossed your mind wouldn't you love to hear your father say this is your daddy You don't have to find any words to say to me. That all you have to do is just talk to me, pour out your heart to me because you are the apple of my eye. You are daddy's little girl. That you are daddy's son. That I yearn to hear your voice. That I yearn to hear you in my presence. I look for you in the morning because I want to hear you. Wouldn't it be wonderful for you to hear him say, This is your daddy? Bring you into the arms of your loving daddy But prayer in and of itself just won't do The second essential ingredient that Jesus pointed out in order to cast out that kind of evil spirit is fasting. Fasting. Fasting from from a biblical perspective is reframing from food for a spiritual purpose. Fasting is reframing from food for a spiritual purpose. Fasting without a spiritual intent It's just a diet. A underneath fasting, fasting increases spiritual intimacy with God. Fasting increases spiritual intimacy with God. Fasting is laying aside a food. For a period of time when we as the believers of christ is seeking to know god in a deeper level it's less about what we give up and the focus should be on what we gain we make an exchange of what we need to survive to what we need to live and that is more of god fasting it crucifies the flesh 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So don't take fasting lightly. Our temporary physical discomfort have spiritual rewards. Jesus expects the followers of Christ to fast. For he says in Matthew chapter six, verse 16 through 18, reminds us how we should conduct ourselves when you fast. And once again, he says when you fast. It doesn't say if you fast, but when you fast. Do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting, surely I say to you that they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head with oil and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in a secret place and your Father who sees in secret, rewards you openly. But we see what happens year after year when we start the consecration. with less than two weeks into the fast, folks walk around with a frown on your face and hoping that someone would ask you, what's wrong? And you don't even answer them. You just pull out your plate. You know I've been fasting, you know I'm fasting. I can't, I don't have nothing to put on this plate. I can't eat this and I can't eat that. You see me, I'm washing away to nothing. Excuse me, I got another hunger pain. (laughs) Fasting is not some form of punishment where we punish our bodies to go without food. No. It's denouncing the natural to invoke the supernatural. When you're serious about fasting, and it's for the purpose of having a deeper relationship with God, you wake up in the morning, you wash your face, you comb your hair, and you dress your best. Then you're not fasting for men, but you're fasting for God for your father sees you. (laughs) B, fasting increases sensitivity to God's voice. Fasting increases sensitivity to God's voice. John chapter 4 verse 24 says God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Oftentimes we hear Christians say that God doesn't speak. Oh he doesn't speak to me. Oh yes he does but are you listening? God speaks in various ways. He speaks through his word. He speaks through impressions of the Holy Spirit. He speaks through preachers. He speaks through people. He speaks through visions and dreams. He speaks through a whisper. He speaks through circumstances. Oh, he speaks. But are we sensitive in discerning the voice of God? Fasting increases or sensitivity that we are able to discern his voice and know what he wants you to do because you have trained your ear to hear his voice when God speaks I don't know about you but I want to hear him and when he calls me I want to answer the Lord speaks even concerning the fast in Isaiah chapter 58 verse 6 Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of the wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, in that you break every yoke? And this is when Jesus replied to the disciples that this kind of evil spirit they encountered can only come out through prayer As we already discussed in fasting. Which implies that the disciples wasn't fasting. It's clear that Jesus was fasting prior to this incident. With this demonic spirit. The spirit could not be dealt with naturally. You can't use natural means to overcome a spiritual problem. This was an evil spirit. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So Jesus cast it out and said, the reason that he was able, because this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Fasting is so productive that it releases spiritual power oh I think I better say that again fasting is so productive that it releases spiritual power and the last thing fasting increases sanctification unto God fasting increases sanctification unto God to sanctify something or someone, is to set that personal thing apart for the use of its intent by the designer. A pen is sanctified when used to write. Eyeglasses are sanctified when used to improve sight. We are sanctified by the designer himself, almighty God, the one that molded us and made us and created us. We fast to sanctify. Or consecrate ourselves fasting is denying ourselves from the pleasures of such as food where we crucify our flesh Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 speaks to our spirits in this manner I have been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are setting ourselves apart from the world. We are consecrating, dedicating ourselves to God, but it doesn't come without a price. It costs you something. When those hunger pangs kick in and Satan tries to tempt you with all type of food, your natural inclination is to feed the flesh natural food. But we can take comfort in knowing that Jesus was also tempted when we are told in Matthew chapter 4 verse 2 when Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry and Satan came to tempt him and said if you are the son of God tell these stones to become bread and Jesus answered it is written that men shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God while we are fasting, we have to feed ourselves spiritually. If our Lord and our Savior found it necessary to live a lifestyle of prayer and fasting, then we ought to do likewise. When the body of Christ corporately pray and fast, we put the devil on the run. Because he knows that when we pray and fast, that we are dangerous and deadly in the spirit realm. There's two things that the devil fights. Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. He don't want us to pray. And he don't want us to fast. Because he knows what happens when we start praying, when we start calling on the Lord, when we turn down our plates, he knows what happens. When we start rebuking him, he knows what happens when we come together as a body of Christ and when we stand together with prayer and fasting, that one can chase a thousand and two can put 10,000 to fight, that when we come together corporately and fast and pray and pray and fast, Something has to happen. The heaven moves uh, when the believers of Christ uh, come together with fasting and praying. Everyone stand on your feet, please. During this Lenten season, I challenge you in addition to giving up the foods and the times that are signed for our Daniel fast. I'm gonna ask you to search your heart and be sincere to what you really, really wanna give up. To what really stands between you and God. What stronghold that you need God to break. Don't let this just be an ordinary time of consecration and fasting. Let it be the best year of your life that you come into a relationship with God that you can say, Daddy. Don't let it be ordinary, but let it be of intention. That you greatly desire to draw closer to God. And he will draw closer to you. Oh, come on and give the Lord a hand clap of praise.